All right, good morning, Ridge Point Church. Turn around to the person behind you and say, you look really good this morning. Now, turn to the person in front of you and say, thank you, you look pretty good yourself. Man, we're glad you're here. How many of you are, here, are glad to be here this morning? Yes, come on. It's, it's okay for us to have a good time at church. We're allowed to laugh and have a good time. And hopefully we do that today because we're talking about this topic of, of being emotional. If you've been with us uh, for the last four weeks, we're in the fourth week of a series called Transformed. We're talking about transforming our health in different areas. And today we're talking about transforming our emotional health. And emotions are one of those things where it can be either really, really good for us or it could be really, really damaging for us. In fact, when I was younger, I grew up, I had a younger brother. He's two years younger than I was. And we played a lot of sports. We played every sport imaginable. And because my, my younger brother had an older brother, myself, uh, we were really competitive. And so it kind of was teaching him to, to hang out with kids who were, were older, who were a little bit better at sports. And so he got really good. And our given sport, even though we played everything, our given sport was baseball. We played a lot of baseball. When my brother got into his middle school years, his name was Eric, and his best friend was also named Eric. And his, his best friend said, hey, Eric, I, I want you to try out for a team that I'm on. It's a little league team. I want you to try out. It's a really good team. And my dad's the coach. We're really good, so come on and try out. And my brother tried out, and he made the team, and, and he actually was a starting first baseman. He had a chance to fill in and pitch some. And he really liked it because his friend, Eric, his, his dad was a really good coach. He was really knowledgeable, and he was really passionate about the game. How many have ever, maybe it's a sport or maybe it's just something that, that you like to do, but you met someone who was really passionate about it and, and their passion like fed into your passion. Has anybody ever had anybody like that? Like your, their passion fed into your passion. We, we get that. We get the passion is a good thing and, and controlled emotions clarify our passions. So if we learn to control our emotions for the people around us, it clarifies to them what are we passionate about. The problem is when those emotions go unchecked, it starts to get us into, into trouble. And that happened because the same coach who was really passionate about the game was also very emotional about life. And there's a sad incident that happened about halfway through the season. My brother was playing first base and his friend Eric was pitching. And, and he started about fourth or fifth inning, started to struggle a little bit. And so his dad came to take him out of the game and say, Eric, we're going to actually sub in. My brother is about to go pitch. So my brother goes in, he starts to warm up. And his friend Eric is on the bench, and he goes and he switches gloves because he thinks he's going to go take my brother's place at first base. But his dad said, no, Eric, you take a break. I'm, I'm benching you for right now. And Eric got really mad. He didn't understand that. Eric was 11 years old. And he got really mad. He didn't understand. He said, but, and he started to get a little bit whiny probably. And he started, but Dad, why? I'm really good. I want to be out there. And, and his dad got a little more forceful that Eric, you need to sit down. And Eric wasn't sitting down. And he was 11 years old, and his dad got really mad and really angry. And those emotions that had fed him so well for so long bubbled over. And he comes over and he starts yelling at his 11-year-old son in front of everybody, in front of the parents, in front of the other team. He starts yelling at his son. And he finally, the situation culminates with him taking both hands and just shoving him in the chest really hard. And the kid's 11 years old. And he, he had his knees kind of against the bench in the dugout. And when he shoved him, there's a fence behind the bench. And when he shoved him, he fell back. And he fell back over the bench, and he got stuck between the bench and, and the dugout fence. And the dad knew his emotions got the better of him, and the assistant coaches came running in. And he grabbed the coach and pulled the coach off of him, and they started to check on Eric to make sure Eric was okay and try to lift him out of kind of being stuck between the bench and the fence. And it was at that moment that Eric's dad realized, I just threw it all away in, in a moment because my emotions got the better of me. And so, like, the game's still about to happen. My brother's out there warming up. Coaches are coming running, and that coach, the head coach, takes off running out to his car 
turns his car on and peels out and just takes off. Well, before too long, the police are called and the game's put on hold and, and they're checking on Eric to make sure he's okay and the police are taking a report of what actually happened. In the midst of all of that, my, my brother's friend Eric, his mom, because her, her son was, was hurt and her husband's about to be arrested, she starts having heart complications and she collapses and it's a really bad situation. So the police are there and the ambulance is there and, and what was supposed to be a, a fun kids game gets ruined in a moment. Because as much as that controlled emotions can kind of clarify our passions, emotions, if left unchecked, can be crippling in our life. And so it's important as we talk through these topics, these, these seven topics we've been looking at. We began uh, three weeks ago talking about the topic of, of spiritual health. And we said of all the topics we talk about, spiritual health is going to become the most important one. That's why we're kind of kicking it off with that. But we move from spiritual health to physical health. We move from physical health to mental health. And then today we talk about emotional health. But I want us to see this. I want us to see how they feed one into another, especially the first four or five that we talk about in the series they kind of feed into one another. And emotional health is going to kind of trickle up. If we get our emotional health right, it can make us better in those other areas. Because if I want to become spiritually more healthy, well, I realize my physical body, the way that I am, if I'm stressed, if I'm worrying about things, if all of these things, if I'm unhealthy, if I'm, if I'm eating poorly, if, if, if I'm not getting enough sleep, if I'm not dieting right, if I'm not exercising, then my physical health can have a positive or negative effect on my spiritual health. If, if I have more energy, if I have more focus, my physical health affects my spiritual health. And we talked about last week that if, we're, if physical health is dealing with our, emo, like, like our, our stress and our worry, well, the way that we think controls all of that. In fact, we talked about last week in Romans 12 too, it says, here's the key to being transformed in our lives. It's by changing the way we think. So he said last week, if we want to fix those other areas, if we want to become physically more healthy, it's dependent upon the idea that I change the way I think about things. Well, if I'm going to change the way I think, then the next step in this journey is to say, I also have to talk about how do I deal with how I feel? How do I deal with my emotions? Because our emotions, we said last week, ultimately our behavior is guided by our belief, the way that we think. But our thought process is affected by our emotions. And so it's really important, especially when we start to make big-time life decisions. It's really important for us to have a healthy dose of an emotional health. If not, we are in our life going to make a series of really poor decisions. And so today as we talk about this topic of emotional health, I want us to see that emotion is, is good, it's powerful, but it has to be checked. Because if it's not checked, it can become a danger to us. Real quick, I want to share one verse. If you have your Bibles, you can read along with me. It's in Mark chapter 12. If not, you can write the verse down. The words appear up here on the screen. If you're taking notes, I'd really encourage you to get your journals out, take notes, because there's going to be a point later on in the message where I'm going to say, hey, I want you to write something down to kind of work through something we're going to do. But in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, it says this, And you shall love, this is Jesus speaking, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. You can almost hear the emotion that Jesus is evoking here with this command. And he says, if you want to know the greatest command that there is, he says, if you want to know what the best thing is that you can do, love God with everything you have. He says, love God with all your heart, love God with all your soul, love God with all your mind, and love God with all your strength. This sounds like a complete love. It's not just kind of a, a passive, it's not a, a nod to God. Yeah, I think I love you, or I kind of love you. 
Because that really doesn't work out. Husbands, for just a second. Imagine your wife comes home from work. And she's all happy to see you. And you walk up and she says, I love you. And your response is, oh, I, I kind of love you too. How would that go over? Not, not very well. Like, kind of love. Your wife isn't looking for you to kind of love her. Or if you come home and you mouth the words to I love you, and you say, yeah, of course I love you, but they see the actions. You're not even taking time to, to notice them as they walk in. Instead, you're kind of glued to the TV because it's football season, and you're watching the game, and, and, and we focus on other things, and we speak the words, I love you, and yet, in reality, our, our heart is not totally there. My fear is sometimes that's how we view our relationship with God. Because Jesus here is saying, love God with everything you have, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul. Love God with everything you have. And we gather together and we sing songs about him. And, and, and if we're not utilizing this God-given gift of emotion, we're missing a way to connect with him. Because God has given us this idea of emotion for our benefit, not for our harm, though it can be used in a poor way. And so today we're going to process through a lot, of, a lot of different things. Mostly it's about how do I make decisions? And as I make those decisions, how do I make sure that those decisions aren't just an emotion-based decision? Because if I do that, there's a danger that I'm going to make a, a really, really wrong decision. So as we begin, I want to begin by making four statements. But before we do that, I, I do want to show something real quick. There's, there's a video and we, we all know that sometimes emotions can get the better of us. And some of you probably saw this when it happened. It's been years ago that this happened. But there was a field goal kicker. Uh, and, and he was kicking. His name was Bill Grammatica. And he, he was kicking for his team. And they're playing, I think they were playing the Giants. And, and he kicks it. And the thing is, this wasn't a big game-winning kick. This was the first points of a relatively meaningless game. He's about to make the game 3 to nothing, And he gets really, really excited, which ends up his emotions ends up being his detriment. So if you would, take time to watch this video. This one will be from 43 yards out. It's got the accuracy. It's got the distance. Martin Gramatica, 15 for 19 this season. And he hurt himself leaping up and down. Oh, he, he, he just strained his knee. He overextended his knee. It's not his kicking knee. It's his planting leg, which is even worse. So it, he says Martin Grammatica, who actually was a kicker for the Bucks, was actually his brother Bill Grammatica. And they were known for being really excited, passionate players. And, and they would celebrate relatively meaningless kicks. And so here his brother Bill Grammatica kicks a field goal to make the game 3 nothing. It was the beginning of the game. And he jumps up to celebrate and he tears his ACL. He was out for the rest of the year because of the celebration. Man, our emotions can get the better of us. And it's one thing if it's a football game, because ultimately, I mean, for him, it's a lot of money, it's his livelihood, but it's a football game. But what happens when the emotions get the better of us when it comes to the way we make decisions, when it comes to the way we build relationships? I want to talk real quick about how do we check our emotions, but before we do that, I want to make four statements about emotions. Uh, four factual statements about emotions. Number one is this. If you're writing these down, write this down. Uh, four factual statements about emotions. Number one, God has emotions. Like, it's that simple. God has emotions. We read uh, throughout the Bible, but especially in the Old Testament, we read that, that God is a God of love and that he exemplifies love and, and that if we're going to reflect God, that love is an attribute. It is who God is. And so God is a God of love, but it also says about God that he's a jealous God. It says he can be grieved. It says he has joy. It says he's disappointed. There's a lot of words to describe that God is an emotional God. If we skip the New Testament, we see about Jesus who is God incarnate, 
that he has joy when he's on earth, that, that he laughs when he's on earth, but that he also cries when he's on earth. Why? Because God is an emotional God. God is a God of love, and because of that, God creates things like romance, and, and, and he creates things like our, our feelings, because God is an emotional God. The second statement is this. The second factual statement that's true is this. My ability to feel is a gift from God. God is an emotional God, and my ability to feel, my ability to have emotions, is a gift from God. You see, it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, that we, you and me, we are created in the image of God. And if God is an emotional God, then he creates us to have emotion. Now, we, we're going to learn that some of us learn really at a young age how to repress those emotions. But God has made the ability to feel in our life as a gift in our life because he wants us to be able to use but not to abuse emotion. What happens to a lot of us, I think especially as men, is we have a tendency to repress that emotion and also to pass along that repression, especially when it comes to our kids, especially our, our, our young boys, to say, we don't want our boys to be emotional, and so let's hide those emotions, let's not share those emotions. And you see these hardened, hardened men who say, teach their sons, we're never going to have any emotions, and they have a daughter. And all bets are off, because emotion changes at that point. God gives us emotion. He gifts us this feeling of emotion. Not to repress it and to hide it, but to say there has to be a way to embrace emotion without letting emotion control you. And that's a key because number three, the third statement is this. We must avoid emotional extremes. God gifts us with a gift of emotion and he gives us with a gift of feeling. But there are two emotional extremes we can have that are very, very dangerous. It's about using emotions and not allowing emotions to, to, to abuse you. Uh, the, the one extreme, or the two extremes of emotions, the first extreme is, is pure emotionalism. People who are driven by pure emotionalism, all that matters is the way they feel at that moment. If they're making a big decision... All that matters at that point is the way they feel. There's no objective truth. There's no objective standard in their life. And so when they make a decision, they're not going out asking the question of what is right and wrong. They're not asking the question of what is good for me. They're not going out and seeking counsel on any of this. They're just saying, hey, however I feel right now when I make that decision, that's what I'm going to do. Listen, if that's how you make a decision, I'm, I'm here to tell you right now, that's a terrible way to make a decision. I think most of us at some point do that. But it's a terrible way to make a decision to say, hey, however I feel at this moment, because then I, I, I come in a relationship and I feel really good today. And so I decide, okay, I'm going to pursue this relationship. It might be a terrible relationship for me, but because I feel really good about this, I'm going to go do it right now. The problem is tomorrow I might not feel the same way. That feeling might be gone, and now I made a decision that if I waited 24 hours, my feeling would dictate a, 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 the exact opposite decision. So we have to be careful about emotionalism. When we give in, we say the only way we make decisions is based upon the way that we feel, we get ourselves in trouble. In fact, purely emotional decisions often have bitter consequences. If we make a decision purely based upon emotion, it often has bitter consequences. When I was uh, really a, a young youth pastor, I started off in, in ministry as, as a youth pastor, and, and I had served in a, in a church for about five years, about, about four years at the time. 
And, and I had learned a little bit, but, but we, our pastor retired, and we were looking for a new pastor. And they brought on a guy that was just, he was great. He, he wasn't young, but he kind of had a young mind. He was in his 50s, but he, he had a young mind, and, and he brought a lot of wisdom and insight into the church world. And, and I learned more in these couple of months working with him than I'd learned for, in previous years combined. But the thing was, he was also making some changes that didn't go over very well. And, and because of that, some of the leadership got together, and they said, we don't like these changes. And so they made a motion to ask him to leave the church after just a few months at the church. And I'd grown to love the pastor. And, and the hard part about me, where most, my emotions started to get in the way of this, is the guys who were kind of spearheading this movement were guys who I'd served with for years, who I was friends with. And it hurt because these were guys I loved, and, and I, see, I saw them fragmenting the church, and I'd grown to love our pastor as well. And so we had this big, like this big meeting, and it was, very, it was a very, very traditional church, and they didn't like some of the changes that were made that were not so traditional, and, and the way the church was governed was very different from how Ridgepoint is, and they had this big meeting, it was this ugly meeting, and then we had a separate meeting, and it was just all these meetings after meetings, and I remember during one of the meetings, they asked the pastor to leave, and they said, JJ, we just want to talk to you for a second, and they said, we want to make sure that it's clear, we don't want you to leave, we want you to stay, we just want him to leave. I'm like, I understand that, but I just got to go on record as saying I don't support this because I didn't think it was biblical and there's a lot to it. But, but I, I love you guys, and I don't know what's going to happen. Well, ironically, that same night that we're having this terrible meeting, I get a phone call from another church. I never put my resume out or any of that stuff, but I get a phone call. And they say, hey, we heard about you. We want to hire you to be our youth pastor. And I was like, that kind of juxtaposition of those two, two things. I got to at least pray about this. But I was convinced at that moment because I knew if we make a purely emotional decision, it could have bitter consequences. I was convinced at that moment I wasn't supposed to make a decision right then because it was going to be an emotional decision. And emotional decisions get us in trouble. And so I just waited. I said, God, I, I'm not thinking clearly enough in this situation to make a right decision. I don't want to make an emotional decision, so let me just wait and let me make sure this is of you. And I'll never forget because one of the guys who I was really close with and I told the leadership, hey, this is a possibility that's out there. I don't know what's going to happen, but I want to make you aware of this. I don't want to just make an emotional decision, but I want to make you aware this is a possibility. And I'll never forget this guy, Brett. He was, one of, he was a leader in the church, one of the, one of the best Bible teachers I had a chance to sit under. He was a really, really good guy. And he came to me being very aware of the situation. A couple of months into it, he came to me, and, and he was much, much older than I was. And he came and he said, he said J.J., I know this is tough for you. Have you, have you decided what you're going to do? And I, I said, no, honestly... If I made a decision, even now, a couple months out, it's an emotional decision. And I don't want to make the wrong decision based purely on emotion, so I'm waiting on God on this. And Brett's like, wow, I wish I'd had that maturity because he had already decided if the vote went the other way, that that day he was leaving the church. And we make emotional decisions. And what happens is when we make an emotional decision, there's one of two possible outcomes that could be really, really bad. Number one, when I make a purely emotional decision... I can make the wrong decision. It's obvious. I'm, I'm, I'm emotional. Even though I think that I am in control of my emotions, I don't have people in my life speaking truth that I'm going to trust because I think I, I got a clarity of mind. I got this thing figured out. And I make the wrong decision. Or what happens more frequently, and I'm convinced this is what I would have done had I made the decision earlier. I would have made the right decision, but I would have made the decision for the wrong reason. And sometimes that's just as powerfully wrong. Because when I was sitting there, I had some friends who I was really close with. And if I would have left that situation when I was really bitter and I was really angry, I would have fractured some of those relationships. I would have hurt some of those relationships. And, and it, it would have been repairable. I, w- I would have been so hurt. And then I would have left from, from this situation to go into this situation. And I would have thought I was healthy. 
But because I made the right decision for the wrong reason, I would have entered into this situation not being able to give it my full heart, not being able to give it my full soul because I had been burnt in this previous situation. So I waited. I waited months. And there was a process. I was going through an interview process, and I was meeting with different people, and I I made leadership aware of what was happening. I I said, guys, I want to make sure I'm making the right decision, and I want to make sure that when I leave, it's for the right reasons. And eventually, months later, God did leave for us to move to that new church, and it was, it was a good thing for everybody that was involved. But along the way, I'm convinced I was in danger of allowing my emotions to get in the way. And if I make a purely emotional decision, I'm often left with bitter consequences. And so we don't want to err on the side of being purely emotional and making a, a decision based entirely upon emotion because that can be really damaging for us. It can lead to catastrophe in our relationships and our lives. But on the other side is the people who says, I don't want to be emotional at all. And so you have on one side, you have emotionalism. On the other side, you have stoicism. And the stoic says, emotions don't matter at all. All I want is facts. I don't want to hear anything stuff about emotion. I don't care how you feel about things. We're just going to make decisions based upon facts. Well, that doesn't work out either because we talked about that God is an emotional God and that God gives us gift of feeling, that, that, that we can use that. It's not to control us, but we can use that, and God can use that to communicate with us. The funny thing is that as we are kind of, as I was studying for this, I started to think through even how this plays out in our churches. Because there are churches and there are denominations who seem they're going to focus on one side as opposed to the other. And there are churches you can think, and we're not going to name any denominations or anything like that, but there are churches you can think of today that they are based solely upon emotion. And you go to the church and they get really excited and they're jumping up and down and they're waving flags and it's all based upon emotion and there's not a lot of substance to it. In fact, I've been a part of some of that and I've seen some of that where there's a lot of emotion, but there's no life change that follows it. Because it's all this celebration, but no substance. Then on the other side, there are churches, there are denominations who, man, they are all about truth. But they don't want to have any emotion at all. And so you go to church, and, and it's all a straight truth. In fact, if they could just sing like a half a song. We're going to sing for two minutes. We're going to have preaching for 57 and a half minutes. They would love that. I'm not sure the congregation would love it. I'm just saying. <laughs> Some of y'all struggle for 35 minutes. <laughs> Let alone. But, 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 but all they want is, is truth with no experience, with no emotion. If you own a church like that and you start to enjoy your relationship with God and you start to raise your hand, man, they're going to view you suspectly. What are they doing? They're raising their hand. They're not supposed to do that. Listen, some churches focus on truth at the expense of spirit. And some people focus on spirit at the expense of truth, where Jesus comes and says he is seeking out true worshipers to worship him both in spirit and in truth. That both those things are essential. That when we come together as a church, we want to celebrate who God is, and we do that by singing songs that have substance to them. We do that by reading scripture that is substance. We do that by believing this. But we also do that by celebrating what God has done in our life because God has also created us to be emotional. He wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. He says that in the book of John. So we come together as a church, that's our goal. We don't want to focus at one at the expense of the other. 
if, there's, if, there's, if where we're at right now as a church, if it's indicative of, of where we need to be, I'd say there's probably, we probably have a little bit more spirit. We focus a lot on truth. We have a little more spirit. There can be freedom. It's okay for us to enjoy church. We talked about that at the very beginning. It's okay to enjoy church because God is using those emotions to allow us to connect with him and to allow us to connect with each other. We don't want to err on one side or the other. Emotionalism is dangerous, can lead us astray, but also so is stoicism. We think emotion has uh, no play at all in our lives. The fourth thing is this. When it comes to our emotions, the fourth factual statement is this. God gave us a whole book in the Bible, the book of Psalms, to help us understand our emotions. If you read through the Psalms, which is a very long book in, in the Old Testament, if you read through the Psalms, there's times you'll read something and it makes sense. You understand why that's there. And there's other times you read it and you're like, that's kind of curious. Like, I know the Bible's inspired by God. I know he breathed out the words of Scripture. But why would he include that particular psalm? It seems kind of oddly placed. Well, understand a lot of times the psalms which were written pre- predominantly by David. There's some other psalmists, but predominantly written by David. They're kind of a journal for, for the guys. They're kind of living life to express their emotion. And, and these men are writing down things and they're talking about their emotions. And a lot of times when we read it, the best thing we can kind of glean from that is this is people. These are real life individuals who are just expressing emotion. And so if we want to understand our emotions, sometimes the best place we can turn is turn to the book of Psalms and say, I want to understand how emotions interact with human experience. And so I read the book of Psalms and I understand, hey, when David was going through this particularly rough patch of life and when he lost his son... What he wrote about was profound. When he dealt with the complications of his sin, what he dealt with was profound. And God says, I give that to you right now to us at Ridgepoint Church thousands of years later to help us understand emotion. There's a couple of other verses of Scripture I want to share just as we look at this. In Proverbs 14, verse 12, it says this. There is a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way to death. Part of the reasons why this idea of, of us not being emotionally out of balance is so important is because our emotions tend to be very unreliable. Here, we're going to read a lot from the book of Proverbs. And in Proverbs, Solomon, the wise man who lived, is writing to his son. And he says, when we're living out life, son, there's a way that's going to seem right to you. Like right now, as you make your decisions, there's a way that's going to seem right to you But in the end of that decision, which you base totally on emotion, it's going to lead to your death. And yet for a lot of us, I think for all of us at some point, we make decisions based just upon emotion. There's no fact. There's no going out and seeking help or seeking counsel. We make a decision just based upon emotion. And he says, at that moment, that decision is going to seem right. But I'm here to tell you that it's a wrong decision. And at the end of that decision is is death. That's a wrong decision. So be careful because our, our, our decisions are, are, are guided by emotion, and our emotions can often be unreliable. <clears throat> Another verse in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, it says this, Like an open city with no defenses is a man with no check on his feelings. Solomon, again writing here, says, You are like an open city with no defenses if you don't have a check we talked about this at the beginning. If, if, if we don't check our emotions, it gets us into trouble. And he says, if you don't have a check on your feelings, if you don't learn to have a filter on your feelings, then you're going to be like an open city with no defenses because other people are going to learn to, how to manipulate those emotions. You're going to enter into a relationship, and, and, and the, the man or the woman that, that you're dating is going to learn how to manipulate your emotions to get what they want. Why? 
Because you've never learned how to check your emotions. You've never learned how to check your feelings. And so what happens is you're like an open city with no defenses. There's nothing filtering you from the world. They learn how to manipulate you. Salesmen are the best at this. They're trained how to read you. They're trained how to talk to you. They're trained how to plan your emotions. You go in thinking there's no way in the world I'm going to buy that. And you're absolutely convinced there's no way in the world I'm ever going to commit to that. And they come in, they start wheeling and dealing, and they say, no, there's, you say, no, I'm not interested. And they start to read the way you respond, and they play on the things that they, that they know are going to be emotional for you. And they say, oh, we're going to get this person to buy it, whether or not they know it or not. Why? Because if I don't have a check on my feelings, if I base my decisions solely upon my feelings, I'm like an open city with no defenses, and that gets me in trouble. Now, we've been talking for a while. I want to do this. If you have your journals, get them out. If not, I want you to think this. Don't say this out loud until the very end. But I want you to think about this. Because we're talking through this idea of how our emotions and our feelings can either help us or get us in trouble. And and from the very beginning, we've talked through these different healthinesses, and we want to have spiritual health and physical health and all those things. And we say, ultimately, there's this big picture. We want to be healthy. We want to be successful. We want to be able to accomplish great things in this life. And the more healthy we become, the better prepared we become to have those successes. Again, don't say this out loud, but I want you to think about this. And if you have your journal, I want you to write it down. Because we want to accomplish these great things. But I'll ask you one question. If you want to accomplish all these great things, who is the single person alive on this earth that can most get in your way of your hopes and dreams? Who is the single person? If you have your journals, go ahead and in your journals, write that down. Who is the one person alive right now that can most get in the way of your hopes and dreams? If you haven't written it down, think about it in your head. Who is the one person who can most get in the way of your hopes and dreams? Now here's my question. Is that person in the room right now? Yes. In just a second, I'm going to ask you to point at that person. If it's your spouse, I got nothing for you. <laughs> if that's you, I got counseling afterwards. We'll talk. But who's the one person that gets, most gets in the way of your hopes and dreams? Point at that person now. For every one of us. Why? One more verse I want to read. First Peter 5.8 says this. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Satan, the enemy, says, I'm going to prowl around. And if you're not self-controlled, if you're not in control of your emotions, then he's going to eat your lunch today. He's going to have you doubt whether or not you'll ever achieve healthiness in those areas of your life. He's going to eat your lunches whether or not you're going to have success in areas of your life. Why? Because that's what he does. He's prowling around, and if we're not self-controlled, if we're not alert about the areas of our life that we have to deal with, he's going to eat our lunch. Emotion is a tool to be used, not an excuse to be abused. Some people say, well, I can't control the way that I feel. And so because I'm emotional, I just kind of jump off, and this is who I am, and I'm never going to change that. They use their emotion as an excuse, and it's not supposed to be that way. In Proverbs chapter 5, verse 23, it says this, They get lost and die because of their foolishness and their lack of self-control. They get lost and die because they're foolish and because they don't have self-control over their life. God says you have to learn how to keep your emotions in check. Emotion is a powerful thing, but if it goes 
without any filter, it can be damaging and disturbing for our life. And so you have to learn to have that self-control. In fact, if we're going to have success, a lot of people put a lot of weight into, especially as they grow up and they have kids and want to brag on their kids. And if their kids are really smart, they brag about their kid's IQ and say, my kid has an IQ of this. And we think that's going to somehow breed success. And intelligence is important. But, but researchers are finding even more important is their EQ, their emotional quotient. Because if people are smart but they're out of balance emotionally, they can't have success because they never learn how to deal with life. But if we can have an emotional stability, if we say we can get through life, and even when things seem out of control, there's a steadiness to us that reflects the way that God lives out in our lives, the way he governs our life. Then we start to learn what it means to really have success. That's why people kind of that are elevated in companies are people who have a stability that can lead. Even in the midst of, of desperate situations around them, they just learn how to lead and they never lose sight of that balance. Why? Because emotionally being balanced is essential to our success. I want to read a verse talking about this topic. In 1 Peter 4, verse 2, if you're writing notes down, write this verse down. 1 Peter 4, 2 says this. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. He's writing saying, we're living. I don't want to live in the flesh. I don't want to live just according to my human passions. You see, when we live for our human passions, when I make decisions based just upon the way that I feel, God says there's a right way for us to follow, but at this moment, because my feelings get in the way, I say every decision I'm basing right now upon the way that I feel, then at that moment, I'm replacing God as God in my life, and I'm saying now I'm the most important person because I make every decision based entirely upon the way that I feel. And so at that moment, I replace God with myself, and I become the God of my life. And here we read in 1 Peter No longer we're living for human passions. No longer am I living just to be satisfied in terms of my passions. But I live now for God's will to happen in my life. So how do I do that? Let's make this practical real quick. How do I do that? How do I get to a spot where I can start to check my emotions? Three things I want you to do. If we're trying to check our emotions, three things we have to do. Number one, we have to name what that emotion is. Whatever that emotion is that has control of our life, name whatever that emotion is. And here's what I really want you to work on. If, if you can figure out a way to incorporate this into your relationships, you need to have that one person. And it doesn't have to be someone that you're, that you're emotionally close to, but the one person who you allow yourself to be vulnerable with and that you allow to invite in for accountability purposes. Because for every one of us, when we make a decision, if you're making a big decision right now, if you're making a decision about jobs or careers or families, you make a decision and you think at that moment, I'm thinking clear-headed, I'm thinking logical, my emotion's not getting in the way. There are very, rarely few people who, who, who ever say, oh yeah, I know my emotion made me make that decision until after the fact. Most people, when they're making that decision, think I'm thinking clearly, I'm thinking objectively, but they need someone on the outside who come in and say, wait a minute, let's, let's talk that through because I know you think that's the right decision, but if you take away the emotion, if you see it how I see it, it's a very terrible decision. We need people who help us name whatever that emotion is that's getting in the way to help us deal with it. The second thing we have to do is we have to challenge it. We have to name what that emotion is, and then we have to challenge it. We challenge it by asking three questions. The first question is this. What is the real reason I'm feeling like this? You wake up tomorrow morning and you, and you start off at work and early in the morning you start to realize, I don't, I don't feel good right now. I don't even know why it is, but I don't feel good. 
we, you know, I'm just, I'm sad, I'm down, I'm, I'm not feeling right right now, and, and it's affecting the way we deal with people around us. We have to get to the core of why am I feeling that way? Because some people think, well, this happened before work, or, but often there's something deeper to it. So the first question we have to ask is, why am I feeling this way? Second question is, is that feeling true? Maybe someone at work gives you a bad review, or maybe someone just mouths off at you and says something, and, and, you, and you start to believe that. The second question we have to ask is, is the feeling that I'm having right now, is it true? Is the emotion that I'm experiencing right now, is it true? If it's not, then I have to learn a way to, to discard that emotion. And the third one, and the most powerful question we can ask when it comes to our emotions, is this. Is what I'm feeling right now helping me or hurting me? If it's helping me, then I have to learn to, to channel that still, but, but I, that's a good thing. But if the emotion that I'm feeling right now, if it's damaging, even if, it's a, if I feel good, but no, in the long run it's going to lead to my demise, if it's damaging me, then I have to get to the third part of this of how do I check my emotions and then I have to learn how to tame it. So I have to first, I have to name it, I have to challenge it, and then I have to tame it. How do I tame my emotion? Because if you talk to people long enough, they start to, to, to say, you know, especially when it comes to emotions, they say, well, I can't control my emotions. Like, it just is how I feel. I can't control my emotions. It just, it just kind of bubbles up and it's kind of how I feel. It's just how, how God made me. We can change our emotions. We talked last week about changing our mind, and, and our emotions do impact that. But if we change our mind about things, we can start to change our emotions. So we either have to, if that emotion is something that's, that's damaging me, if it's hurtful to me, I either have to change my emotion and say, I can't feel this way. And it might, it might be a process. It might be, today I know I should not jump into this situation, but I really want to. And so today, even though I know it's wrong and, and, and I'm going to stop, I still have this feeling that I want to go do this. And tomorrow I still have that feeling, and, but I'm not going to do it because I know it's wrong. And that feeling is going to subside just a little bit. And it might take a week, it might take a month, but eventually I can change the way that I feel about this because I'm allowing wisdom to rule my emotions instead of allowing my emotions to rule my wisdom. So I either have to learn to change my emotion or I need to learn to channel my emotion. Something bad happens. We get that bad review at work and we get really emotional about it and we realize that emotion is damaging to us. But instead of me getting frustrated and getting upset and just wanting to quit, I learn how to use that emotion to start to fuel me in my life, to channel that emotion to make me better. I have a bad relationship and I have a bad outcome of a relationship that I really cared about. And instead of me giving up and saying, I don't want to have any more relationships, I learn how to use that as fuel in my life to make better decisions when it comes to relationships. And, and I make it as, as a, a way to have a better commitment level when it comes to those relationships because just because I've been hurt in the past doesn't dictate that I can't have success in the future. And as soon as I buy into that lie, I'm buying into the enemy who's seeking to steal, to kill, and to destroy me. That enemy is like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour, and that's us. So we learn to change those emotions. We learn to channel those emotions because we believe that God has made us emotional beings. But that emotion is a tool to be used, not an excuse to be abused. God made you emotional. I want us to come together, and I want emotion to be a part of the celebration of who God is. But if that emotion starts to govern us where we don't live according to wisdom and the insight God's given us, it becomes dangerous. 
And so our balance in life right now is say, God, you've created us as, as, as beings who have intellect, but you also created us as beings who have emotion. And God, somehow in our life, help us to find the adequate balance between those two. Help us find a healthy balance to say, we want to come together to be, be people who are wise, but also people that are emotional. People who use emotions to, to fuel the wisdom that you've given us, not vice versa, to allow the, the, the emotion to guide our decisions in a bad way. So learn to do that. Learn to be emotionally healthy and to channel those emotions in a way that brings the most glory to God at all possible in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for creating us as emotional beings and how you allow us to experience emotion in our life. And God, you allow that emotion to even uh, be a way that we express our love and admiration for you. God, I know that in, in a room this size, we have people that are dealing with some emotional issues even today. We have people that are dealing with, with emotional baggage that's not allowing them to live life right now. And, and, and because that is leading to more bad decisions, more poor choices, uh, God, I pray for them, whatever it is they have to do to get over the past, I pray that you give them the time and the insight they need to get over that. So that in future decision-making processes they have to go through, God, that you'd give them wisdom, you'd give them intellect, and that, God, you'd allow the emotion to feed what we already know is true. God, let us be emotional beings as you've prayed us to be. But let's learn to channel that emotion and bring glory to you. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.